Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Hi everyone, welcome back to The Next Normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Dr. Jenna. And you know what? Life just gets more interesting day by day. Are you finding yourself listening more intently to those thoughts that don't want you to see what they're doing? You get what I'm saying, right? It's those little quiet thoughts, those quiet moments that are nudging at you. They're showing you something, but maybe you're just too busy in doing what you think you're supposed to be doing. Maybe you're worried about something. Bills, maybe. (laughs) Enough money coming in. Maybe a relationship. Maybe even your health. You know, those surface thoughts that distract you from the real work. And sometimes when you actually respond to those quiet thoughts that don't necessarily reveal itself to you clearly, one day you actually pay attention to them. And before you know it, You're on a completely different path than what you were expected to do. I know that for me, that definitely happened in my 20s. Running my nightclubs, jet setting with my luxury cars and money in the bank and the right person on your arm was perfect. Living in a condominium overlooking the Atlantic, perfect. Jewelry, name brand, best. What do you want from me, life? And then a thought comes. A situation comes, something starts to nudge at you. You're being called to do something else. You're like, no, 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 that's not got my name on it. That's for somebody else. I'm enjoying right where I am. I'm in the flow. My adrenaline is flowing. My ego is at an all-time high. I feel great. Ignorance is bliss. Don't wake me up. (laughs) Here comes Chloe Valderie. She's got a great story to tell you today. After spending a year as Bartley Fellow at the Wall Street Journal, Chloe Valdery developed the theory of enchantment. It's an innovative framework for compassionate anti-racism that combines social-emotional learning, character development, and interpersonal growth as tools for leadership development in the boardroom and beyond. Chloe has trained around the world, including in South Africa, the Netherlands, Germany, Israel, and her clients have included high school and college students, government agencies, business teams, and many, many more. She has also lectured in universities across America, including Harvard and our Georgetown here in DC. And her work has been covered in Psychology Today magazine, and her writings have appeared also in the New York Times, even in the Wall Street Journal. And she has been a guest on Real Time with Bill Mayer. So imagine that she's really maybe getting a call here that is different than who she thought she was going to be. So Chloe, welcome to the show. And I can't wait to get right into how you are evolving 
and mm. all the things that you must be going through. Thank you for inviting me on. You know, I have loved life, and I'm pretty sure you do too. All the bumps and the ups and downs, that has to come into the story to sometimes push us forward. Something bumped you so powerfully, Chloe, and I'd love to find out where you were at a particular point in your life when you were on that Wall Street Journal tip, how you just got a little bit moved to helping the world in a different way. Well, I'm not sure the bump occurred when I was at the Journal. I think it occurred right before my senior year in college, where I was taking a class entitled Anthropology of Religion, Magic, and Witchcraft. That was the name of the class. And I had grown up in a very conservative religious home and had certain ideas about the way the world worked, the way people worked, and the conclusion that certain people were good and certain people were bad based upon their religiosity. My professor was both an agnostic and a liberal, which were two no-nos for me at that time, <laughs> automatically defaulting her to the bad box in my mind. Mm -hmm. And a situation occurred where one time she assigned us to watch a film, a documentary about a community of evangelical Christians called Jesus Camp. And this documentary did not portray them in the most positive light. And as I returned to class the next day, there was another student who was an atheist who was in the class who started railing against the community. And I expected my liberal agnostic professor to do the same, but she actually started to defend the community and not in a sort of ideological way, but in a human way to remind that student all of the human conditions that cause us and that motivate us to do what we do. It was a real moment of empathy and compassion that she showed for this community, which isn't a community that she belongs to. And so after that, my entire world started to collapse because the paradigms that I had used to understand the world were insufficient. And the boxes I had used to construct the world were no longer valid. And that is really what led to an existential breaking point that lasted for a number of years that resulted in the theory of enchantment. Wow. Well, congratulations to that professor. <laughs> you know, what you've just said where it broke down all the boxes, how we survive our changes. My friend Bishop Carlton Pearson just sent me a post of this evangelica who kept yelling and screaming at his congregation, if you vote Democrat, you're evil. Get out of my church. And as you watched that, recording, I said, you know, what are you going to do, Carlton? He believes what he's saying is right. And then I wonder, though, if he were to ever have a moment of deep enchantment between his soul and God, would he feel the same? You've come up with a theory called the theory of enchantment. I would love if you could share with our viewers a little bit about how it was developed and why. Sure. So I spent a lot of my college days fighting anti-Semitism. Part of my upbringing in this church actually entailed observing a lot of Jewish customs, which naturally led to affinity for the Jewish community and Jewish culture as well. 
So I developed a real strong allergy to anti-Semitism. And at the time, there was a lot of talk about Iranian nuclear proliferation. There was anti-Semitic shootings happening in France. My major was international studies, so I was doing a lot of work on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And remember, this was happening while my existential crisis was unfolding simultaneously. (laughs) So once I arrived at the Wall Street Journal, I realized that the ways in which we tended to advocate for, let's say, justice in the context of international studies was good, but not enough. There were no classes, for example, on teaching people how to love. Now, you would think that if you're trying to combat conflict, that this would be something that would be at least included in the curriculum. And I'm very grateful to my university. I had a really great education. But this seems like something that was absent. And so once I got to the Wall Street Journal, I wanted to work on a thesis that would inject this question of how to love into the entire approach and understanding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So that was one of the catalysts in creating theory of enchantment. And I shifted from focusing on a lot of political books to reading a lot of literature. And it was literature that gave me a greater vocabulary to talk about the messiness of the human condition. Whereas the political books tended to traffic in binaries, which are useful in some contexts, but not in others. But I'll tell you, you know, if you keep your head in there, after a while, when you look at everything that they're doing, it's like just a dog chasing their tails and they're Mm -hmm. not getting absolutely anywhere. And it's interesting because as you've realized, love really is the answer. And I know that we've overused that word Mm -hmm. and perhaps we've even destroyed it on many levels to prove what love can look like. But it really is the foundation of the transformation of the human spirit. So could you kind of outline for us some of the principles that you have in the theory of enchantment? Yes. So there are three principles in the theory of enchantment. The first principle is treat people like human beings, not political abstractions. The second principle is criticize to uplift and empower, never to tear down or destroy. And the third is try to root everything you do in love and compassion. Beautiful. How can the theory of enchantment actually be used then to overcome maybe structural and systemic issues and the inequalities that Mm -hmm. we're seeing today? And can it help us heal our nation? I know it can. It's just a matter of getting it on the hill and getting Senate to recognize. Furthermore, tell us a little bit. So often in the past few years, we in, in this nation have had a lot of conversations about systemic injustice and systemic inequality, but it seems to me that the one system that we fail to focus on is the human system. And we tend to think about structures exclusively in terms of buildings or institutions, but we forget that these buildings and these institutions are being run by humans. And theory of enchantment really focuses on the human system. And its approach to fighting racism lies in its understanding that supremacist tendencies occur actually from a place of insecurity. Because a human being who feels secure in themselves will not feel the need to tear another person down in order to feel good about themselves. So if you peel back behind the facade of a person who 
claims to think that they're better than everyone, you'll find a deeply insecure person. And you'll find a person who's projecting their insecurities onto another group of people. We all have insecurities, right? We're all human beings. So the only way to unlearn that is to help people get in right relationship with their full selves, with their full complexity, including their insecurities, so that they can practice self-awareness around those insecurities instead of automatically projecting them out into the world. And the three principles that I laid out are ultimately in service of that mission. We say that there's so much diversity within a single human being, let alone an entire group of people. And so if a person can get in right relationship with that, if a person can integrate what Carl Jung observed as the integration of the shadow and the light of one's being, if a person can become whole, then that will make racism less likely to occur in the first place. You know, America has this gun crisis. If you follow some of the news outlets, they'll talk about the shooter has a mental illness, and they really are trying to bypass real issue here as a nation. They might not even know what they're propagating to the rest of the world, because what I'm hearing is America now has mental illness. There's no other country in the world that's killing their kids and their citizens, bloodshed without cause, just because they've got access to guns and so on. And I wonder what's happening at a deeper level. It's not just the individual. There's something more here. There's something that you said that I liked, and you said that every Disney movie is a motive. I get what you're saying, and it's a motive of the human condition. What is it that you see as the connection? When I watch my Disney stuff, I see how we're all born pure, we go against what we were told to do, we get naughty, we fight our way through, and then we become pure again. End of the show, Disney, you know, Pixar is great. Yeah. I think for me, fairy tales are interesting and ancient, and the Disney versions are simply contemporary versions of ancient stories that we have been telling each other for the entirety of our existence as a species. In a way, the transmitting of the value system of fairy tales is a kind of not dying art, but it's one of the last examples that we have from the ancient world in the sense that we used to sit around campfires telling stories and singing songs Mm -hmm. and engaging in these ways of being with each other that we are less likely to engage in because of many things, but including social media and the kind of quick, impulsive ways we've been conditioned to communicate with each other, which I don't think allow us to be receptive or enable us to cultivate our capacity to be receptive towards each other. So fairy tales in general, I place a high value on. For me, when I see a lot of Disney films, the repetitive motif tends to be some imperfect, flawed character has to go through a series of obstacles in order to discover themselves, really. It's the hero's journey, a la Joseph Campbell, in order to discover themselves. But they have to go through certain obstacles, certain existential crises, in order to come to their true calling. And I think that the best movies portray that kind of perennial motif because it's a part of the human condition, which is why it can be found in every culture on the earth, this pattern that repeats itself. So that's Mm -hmm. what Disney 
means to me. And that's also why I take Disney very seriously. And I hold it as a very sacred institution, actually. Well, that's so beautiful to hear. Thanks for saying that. They need to give you a job. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so interesting. I was having conversations with some friends and as much as we want the world to be utopia and Mm -hmm. heaven on earth, the consistent theming, messaging that we've been going through for centuries, where the heroes are Caucasian, the bad Mm. guys have brown or black skin. Over and over again, it's in the movie. You and I both know Tarzan is not Caucasian. (laughs) And you and I both know Jesus is not Caucasian. We know that. But we're only knowing that now. Remember when Black Panther came out? It was at such a delicate time in the United States. And there were people in this country that finally saw the representation of how strong they stood as a culture Mm -hmm. and as a people, but they had not seen many shows like that. They were used to the Jeffersons. They were used to good times. They were used to the help driving Miss Daisy. And that goes into your psyche. Even if our brothers and sisters in Caucasian skin are saying, please come and join us for dinner, you'd be like, oh, no, ma'am, I'm fine. Because that stuff has been ingrained. What is needed to improve race relations or even cultural, religious, or the political differences that we come across, especially now? That's a whole thing. I think that historically in the West, we, during the Enlightenment, became really obsessed, for good reason, arguably, with the pursuit of scientific certainty. We were breaking the shackles off of religious institutions that were claiming to have a monopoly on the truth. And we developed a feverish passion for science and for understanding the cosmos and the way the universe actually worked. In our passion for the known, we developed a bias against the unknown. And all human beings are somewhat afraid of the unknown. It's part of our limbic system. But specifically how it manifested in the West, we associated the unknown with darkness. And we developed a fear of darkness. And we associated darkness exclusively with evil and with corruption and with impurity. And we associated light exclusively with good, justice, and purity. This is not objectively the case, but we did this. And then we projected that idea of darkness onto the physically darker peoples of West Africa and called their culture inferior and enslaved them. It's important to understand that psychology because we can understand the history, but if we don't understand the psychology, then we will be more easily prone to sliding into those same patterns for me, and for, from Theory of Enchantment's perspective, the proper way to deal with that, to heal that, is to learn how to make peace, be in right relationship with our own darkness. Again, what Carl Jung called the shadow. And the shadow is not necessarily a bad thing. It's simply the unknown. It's full of potential. It's full of those things we might dislike about ourselves, but it's also full of those things we fail to take responsibility for ourselves. 
which are good things. Like the yin yang is, there's a little darkness and light. There's a little light and darkness. The two actually depend upon each other in order to exist. So if we can learn to embody that symbolic representation that is captured in the yin yang, then we will become whole. And then we will be less likely to perpetuate some of those patterns that we got stuck in. This is really important because I think it's very critical to have compassion. This is all human. We got stuck in those patterns because we felt a need to control and predict outcomes. Mm. And of course we did, because as a human being, my relationship to the unknown is always somewhat of a negotiation. We're human beings, we're afraid of the unknown because what can come out of the unknown can be terrifying and can be deadly. So we developed a need to control and predict. And we in the West got very good at controlling and predicting. But there's a beautiful book called The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist, which talks about this on a neuroscientific level. The obsession with controlling and predicting basically denies the mystery that is always at the heart of being. It's at the heart of my being, it's at the heart of your being, it's at the heart of being itself. And there is no way you can absolutely 100% control and predict reality. And by trying to do so, you actually get rid of the possibility for relationship. No, oh, and also for the divine to intervene. For the divine. Yeah. For relationship with yourself and with the other, because relationship is the opposite of controlling and predicting. Relationship yeah. is relating <laughs> and yeah, being accepting. with what is. So we've gotten off balance, essentially. We've overdone the controlling and predicting, and we need to rebalance it with the relational in order to achieve wholeness. You know, that begs for me to look into a spiritual technique that I've learned over my years soul consciousness. And I'll tell you why I think it's so important. I don't think we'll ever be equal in the way we look, in the things that we do, the choices that we make. But I've often found for me, equality comes when I can consider you to be a soul. I know I'm a soul. And I know that we come from source. Now, whatever it is that you're planning to do and how are you planning to play out this thing that once you've entered matter, there's an expression that's coming through you. Okay, I get it. So now we're off balance. And this control and seeking results is very powerful what you're saying. Because in reality, what if it's all preordained? Where does control come in? And I'll tell you why I question this. Numerologists, <laughs> psychics astrologers you go to people your auntie your grandma has a vision of you your friend tells you oh i see you're going to be dynamic in a few years you think so <laughs> you know there's this feeling that i think something is already pre-scripted for me <laughs> so why am i sweating this let me just see how i can bring the best of me forward because you've said earlier too and you said that love can repair social iniquity mm -hmm. and i believe that but with so much polarity in the country today how can we depersonalize the hostility and still meet others with grace and love what's going to be the best technique you've given us some already what else do you think we could do i personally have taken to getting off social media on a regular basis because 
I have a following on social media and I'm very grateful for that. But the way in which the platforms are algorithmically incentivizing us to act, it basically cultivates ADHD. I mean, my attention span is constantly being concerned with whether or not I have likes or followers or retweets or shares. That actually narrows my perception and that narrows my capacity to be attentive, which is where the word attention comes from, to attend to the way you would, let's say, a garden. It narrows my capacity to attend to my fellow human being and to my fellow self. For me, getting off social media, taking regular social media breaks is a huge practice that I think is important. It's also ritualistic. And rituals are super important for me because rituals remind me of the cyclical nature, the nonlinear nature of life. So getting off social media, let's say every two weeks or every three weeks, is not just a way to strictly discipline myself, but also to introduce ritual into my life. Mm -hmm. I also have a meditation practice that I do every morning, 20 minutes, not counting the movement practice that I do with it as well. And I would highly encourage folks to take up some kind of meditative practice or prayer practice that speaks to them individually. I've deeply been inspired by Authors like Marion Woodman and Barbara Hanna and Helen Luke, these are all women who studied with Carl Jung, who were colleagues of Carl Jung, who wrote extensive books about the relational and how to cultivate that and bring that back into society and balance the logos with the eros. And I've been learning how to incorporate that into my life. And I've told friends, my intention is to try and live my life in a relational way. And relationship is not simply something that is separate or other from the very fabric of the universe. Yeah. I would like to be intentional and conscious about that. And of course, as my team builds theory of enchantment, these practices will slowly but surely make their way into the course and into the training. It's interesting. Relationships are huge. I mean, people go to war just because mm. one leader was offended by another leader <laughs> and decided, I don't care how much of your citizens I'm going to kill, but you shouldn't have said that. And it's really very fascinating that you can be willed such incredible power, and yet you haven't understood the shadow work that you need to do within yourself to be able to uplift your own people, the nation next door, mm -hmm. and perhaps the world at large. When I look at shadow work, I look at an acronym that I use quite regularly called ALGI. Okay. A for anger, L for lust, G for greed, A for attachment, E for ego. Now that consciousness has weaved its way into my personality so comfortably that there are times I don't even know when my ego is at work or when my attachment is at work until I encounter something tragic or I lose something or something doesn't go the way that I was hoping it would have gone. And then I start to think from a place of love, but I start to think deeper than what I was accustomed to thinking. So there are a lot of folks who are not doing the shadow work. And I just wonder if the hell that we're witnessing in the world today, is it actually trying to force us into a new ritual 
new cycle of thinking that is saying, here's my transformational period now. Here's my part of my Aquarius. Here's my new thinking. Here's where I reboot myself to get myself back. Here's why I get off of social media to remember what is real. Tell us a little bit about one or two things that you've done to help you to embrace your own shadow stuff and your shadow work. You were saying that the time and space that we're in might be trying to force us to into a new ritual. I was thinking of a couple of things, the yin yang, because in the yin yang symbol, the other one is the other half of the other. So they both depend upon each other. There's also this similar concept in Hasidic Judaism. And in the book of Isaiah, I forget the actual chapter and verse. There's a scripture that says, I, the eternal, create both darkness and light, good and evil. I alone do this. I love the scripture because it reminds me of what you're saying how there's always this non-dual relationship between shadow and light. As far as myself, I do shadow work whenever my ego is triggered by someone else. (laughs) Because usually whenever my ego is triggered by someone else, it means that what that person is doing is something that is present within me. So just as a quick example, if I come across someone who's being assertive and my ego is triggered by that, and I interpret that assertiveness as aggression, what's usually happened is I've denied the part within me that actually wants to be assertive. And I've projected that onto the other person as a form of aggression. I feel it in the body. So I know when my ego is triggered because I usually feel it in my stomach area. So that's a way in which it signals to myself. First, I can pause and be aware of what's going on and then recall the projection. I remember once there was a guy in a workshop that we were doing. We're doing shadow work in this workshop. And the exercise is to identify someone whose behavior triggers your ego in this way, meaning you start to feel that you're better than this person fundamentally. So identify someone who triggers your ego and then identify the behavior that that person does that triggers it and then identify how that behavior shows up within you. And so this one guy identified a person who is prone to violence. He had this whole aha moment. He had this whole existential awakening where he realized that he desires to be violent. And that's why he was being triggered. And I said, great. So how can we actually move to a space where violence can be contained? This is where you might pick up a martial art practice or something where you can practice being violent in a contained way. I learned from my friend Rafe, who teaches a whole bunch of embodied physical practices like parkour and other things to get the body moving. He taught me something so interesting and true. When he said it, I realized it was true. And before he said it, I didn't realize it was true. He said that you cannot actually be nonviolent unless you are capable of violence and consciously choose not to be violent. Brilliant. That really resonated with me and quite frankly inspired me to take up a martial art, which I'm still planning Mm -hmm. on doing. But that's a way in which the interplay of shadow and light occurs. It's brilliant. You know, a lot of times when people talk, oh, Sister Jenna, you're so good. You do this. You're so peaceful. You're so pure. I'm like, maybe, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm with them on that 
you have no idea where I've come from inside. Mm. And I think the reason why I value living very authentically as a spiritual representative on the planet is I don't want to deceive anyone that the steps you have to take to get mm. back to you. It's mm -hmm. a journey to get back to a lost version of yourself. Yeah. And to be patient and to put aside even going with the tribe that basically says you're supposed to do this to get back to you. And I'm like, I don't see that. I don't see I have to get back to me because I see everyone else is doing it. I see it as something different. I see it getting back to me is the way I sit in a chair. Mm. If I drop in it, I know I wasn't in the right place. If I sat in it with dignity and poise, I'm in the right place. It's these simple elements that emerge in our lives every day that become tools to help us to get back to ourselves. And so I love the brilliance of your friend, Ray, what he has said to you, because he's spot on. And I think that's why maybe what we're going through, especially as Americans, is that we're recognizing maybe at the root of our power as a nation, too, is a spiritual integrity that can embrace all kinds of people, still allow us to be who we're supposed to be. I know that's one of the reasons why I push forward for raising the bar for living in this country, because it's such a privilege. I want to talk about your new podcast before we come to an end, The Heart Speaks. Tell us yes. a little bit about the show and the types of guests that you feature. So yes, The Heart Speaks is my new podcast. We, I say we because I have producers and such, and I want to give them a shout out. But I talk to philosophers, artists, friends as well. The purpose of the podcast is really to help us drop into our hearts. I grew up in a very intellectual, cerebral-oriented family. In a way, I became stunted from a feelings perspective. I would always be stuck in my head, never move to the heart. And so I'm working on that as an active practice. And the podcast is really an attempt or a vehicle, really, to continue mm -hmm. that practice. So we have really exciting and inspiring conversations and emotionally vulnerable conversations, which I'm really excited about. There's only a few episodes out now, but it's going to continue to grow. I think people are going to enjoy it. Congratulations. Lots of good wishes for that. Sometimes we tend to turn to our relatives for shaping us in the way that we've become, maybe. But I think energetically, we karmically placed ourselves with them for some reason. My mother was orphaned at seven. Having an orphanage's story was the worst. She had me at 17. My dad's Indian, really proper, really like regular Indian guy. Do it like <laughs> this, be like this. Two completely opposite parents. I karmically wanted. I came into this family. That's interesting. One is a Hindu, one's a Roman Catholic. It was as if my life was to see the whole world and to recognize that it's okay to be different, but can you walk in the middle and accept everyone and still be yourself? Even now with my mother with dementia and I'm taking care of her, I can't say to you, she was the best. I can't say to you, she was the worst. Can I say to you that I think there's another way she could have parented? I'm sure. But 
it wasn't and I'm okay. And I think like it's so important for us as children to our parents to just say it was okay. And I want to tell you something. I love my intellectuality, yeah. but now I want to balance it with my heart. And yeah. I know that's what you just said. I'm just it, speaking yeah. in your voice. You know, kudos to you, my dear. You know, just wishing you all the very, very best in everything that is called through you to do. And even the times when you're not even certain what's the next thing to do. Kudos. It's going to be fine. You will always survive the changes that occur in your life. The question is, in what condition? You just keep yourself connected to the divine and your better self. And I know you will be heart the whole way. So leave us with a website. And if you have any final thoughts that are coming from your beautiful heart that you think you don't have, because <laughs> from just talking to you, you are all heart. I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you're like, you know, the Wizard of Oz. I think it was the lion. He needed yeah. courage or something. And the yeah. whole way along the journey, he realized you had courage. There's the saying to pray for something is to already have it. Yeah. The company's website is theoryofenchantment.com. You can check out all the cool workshops and trainings that we have. You can also follow me on social media when I'm on social media. <laughs> Instagram is cvaldery. Twitter is also cvaldery. I would say the very fabric of reality is relational. I learned this when I read about quantum physics. The relational is calling us, and it's hard because we're not used to living in that way, but yeah. it can open us up in ways we would have never imagined and really produce that compassion and empathy that we so desperately need right now yeah. in our nation and in the world at large. I'd like to add that the whole relational is when you've accepted that you are meant to be free. And so there's nothing that you're afraid of holding back in these relationships. You're not afraid of taking, losing, you're free. So let's share. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being with you. And I've really enjoyed our time together. You're a jewel. Thank you. All the best. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am sure you've taken a lot of insights from our time together with Chloe Faldery as you saw with your own eyes and listened with your own heart. You know that call. You survive when you let go of control and illusions where if you're too much on one side, something's not right. Even if you think you're principle-based, it's got to become balanced in order for it to really work. Thanks for joining us. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I suspect we're all here to love each other the same. Take care. Be well. Meditation. Intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices. My new book that is out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and you can get it from Sacred Stories Publishing or on America Meditating Radio. The quieter you become, the more you're able to hear. One of my opening pages of this book I have heard time and time again that when you go into the stories and the narratives of the 37 authors that are sharing with you their mystical experiences of the divine, something in you changes. It has already reached number one three times in mysticism category and in new age category for new releases. I want you to get a copy for yourself and tell me what you feel as a result of closing that final page of this book. Meditation 
intimate experiences with the divine through contemplative practices. It's calling you. Can you hear it? Rice Alley Restaurant wishes you happy holidays. Located at 6838 Piedmont in Gainesville, Virginia. We're a family-owned restaurant and offer authentic Asian cuisine and sushi. Come, savor our delicacies made with love and enjoy the perfect ambiance. We look forward to seeing you there. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in and do be easy on yourself. Take care.